Amen. So appreciate the worship this morning. If you do as well, say amen. Love that song. And uh, I know those guys have been working on that song for a while now, and it's just amazing to kind of finally get to worship with them in that song and just some great truth in that song. Um, I have to say, too, uh, I, don't, I hope you caught uh, the lyrics in Gary's song that he shared with us. Um, but there's some lines in there that were just so powerful to me um, that we are unstoppable as his church and that we as a church can have kingdom dreams. I love that line in there about the church begins to wake up to kingdom dreams again and starts dreaming about what would it be like as a church if we solely focused on building his kingdom. I mean, just think about that for a moment. If we just, as a body of Christ, said we're not going to build our kingdom, we're not going to be consumed with our kingdoms, but we're going to build his kingdom by his grace and the influx of his Holy Spirit, and what would the world look like? And could you imagine every church in America today uniting together, no matter what it says above their door or on their sign, but they believe Christ is the Son of God, that the Bible is the Word of God, that it's salvation by grace alone through faith in Christ, that he was sinless and he died on a sinner's cross, was buried in a borrowed tomb and rose again on the third day, that anybody, I don't care what your background is, that places their trust in Christ can be saved, forgiven of all sin, and set for eternity in heaven. What if every church in America today got convicted and committed to that ideal and said, we don't care about the little stuff anymore. We're just going to focus on this, and we're going to see his kingdom built in America today. That would bring revival. You see, it's amazing when you study about revival in church history. It's never confined to one church, to one denomination, to one region. It may start in a church In actuality, real quick side note, by the way, most revivals in church history started with a prayer meeting. Did you catch that? A prayer meeting. One of the earliest revivals in America in the 1800s started because a businessman said, what if I just took a lunch break a week, one lunch break a week, and invited any and all businessmen that are going to be working to take their lunch break and just come pray in this storefront room in New York City. What if I just did that? And the guy did that. He committed to it. And he sat there for 30 minutes and nobody showed up. And then about 35 and 40 minutes in, one person comes in. And by the end of the first meeting, there was about six. Do you know what most of us would do if we went home from that prayer meeting? Well, that was a waste of time. No one showed up. What's the point? Do you know within just a matter of two weeks, they were up to 40 Within six months, they were up to 10,000 businessmen, women, meeting daily, Monday through Friday, praying for one hour a day. Scroops all over New York City. That's how revival starts, when there's a commitment to watching God do what only God can do. And so when we talk about the prayer meeting or the prayer time that we offer, the gap ministry on Sunday mornings, this is not just for a select few people. And we would love to see everyone involved in some way, shape, or form in that ministry. Maybe you can't get here early. Maybe you, I know you're praying at home. I'm not saying that if you don't pray here, you're not praying at all. What I'm saying is, but man, there's power when the body of Christ comes together and says, we're just going to unite and say we're going to build his kingdom. We're going to dream big dreams for his kingdom. I mean, true or false, we as Americans, we can dream, can't we? We're really good at it, right? Okay, we've all dreamt about having the Ferrari, right? Or the Porsche or the whatever car it is. Some of you, it's like, I just want a blah, blah, blah Chevy pickup truck, okay? Fill in the year, either newest or oldest. I don't know, whatever. Man, I want that big house. I want that nice car. I want that cottage. I want that boat. I want... This, man, I, and I, we dream about these things. There's nothing necessarily intrinsically wrong with the dream. But, man, what's the motivation behind the dream? Man, we're so good at dreaming about what we want. But have you ever just sat back and daydreamed about what it would be like if you, as a follower of Christ, 100% surrendered to him? Man, just start dreaming about, God, what would you do with my day? Man, how would you use my words? How would you use my family? 
If I literally surrendered everything to you, and not about me, but about you, and as a follower of Christ, that seems to be what most of the followers of Christ in the New Testament did. And if we did that, what kind of dreams would we dream? What kind of things would we think about? What kind of, what kind of endeavors would we begin with no fear? Because it's not our kingdom, it's his kingdom, and he says he's going to build it. So if we just get on board with him, what do we got to be afraid of? Not necessarily isn't in the message today, but when I was listening to Gary sing that and I heard that line, it just struck in me that, man, we need to have different dreams. We as a body of Christ need to be excited about what God can do in this country. And really, when you dream those dreams, that's worship, by the way. That's what it means to worship, to believe that God is great enough and big enough and strong enough to do what God wants to do, and he wants to use you to do it. So when you surrender, guess what you're doing? It's an act of worship. God, your kingdom is worthy of all of me. Man, my kingdom slips and falls and it's consumed in a moment. How many dreams do you think were consumed in 2008? How many dreams were taken away? Man, people thought, oh, this is it, man, I've arrived. Look at all that I've amassed. Someone said it yesterday in the prayer meeting with the men's prayer meeting, and I loved it. We were talking about how God is the creator of all. In Psalm 100, it says that God is creator, that we did not create ourselves. There's a profound thought. You are not the end of you. You did not make you happen. God created you with a distinct purpose and a plan. Isn't that amazing? And when we were talking about that and how we can worship him for that, this gentleman said something that was so powerful. He said, you know, we think about it in the sense of physical, literal creation, that we were formed and made by God. But really, everything that we do in our lives is because of him and what he has created in our lives. That promotion at work, yeah, you worked hard for it, but he's the one that gave you the breath in your lungs to go to work every day and to get that promotion. The intelligence to do what you need to do every day. So at the end of the day, he created that promotion. He is the one to be glorified for that. And so I want to encourage this morning, this is not in my notes at all. And it's already 11-11, so we just need to pray <laughs> that every slow cooker represented here today magically is suspended in time and space, and nothing burns. Although I've never burned anything in a slow cooker. I don't use slow cookers. But I've never seen my wife burn anything in a slow cooker, so I don't know if it's even possible to do that. Some of the ladies are like, oh, it can happen. You need to be done at 1215. <laughs> Look, I love, I love Jesus, but I love roast, you know, and those potatoes ain't going to last forever. Is there anything better, by the way, than a roast? And you got the carrots and the potatoes and the onions and everything just floating around in there, marinating together. Oh, that's good stuff. On that note, we are continuing our series this morning. No, uh, we are continuing our series this morning. We started last week called What is Worship? And last week we dove into this topic and we began to talk about what does Jesus say worship is. And in John chapter 4, we looked at Jesus having a conversation with a woman at the well, a woman of Samaria. And she poses a religious question on where is the correct place to worship? Do the Samaritans have it right and where they worship? Or do the Jews have it right and they worship in Jerusalem? So which is the correct place to worship? This is a profound question and one that we need to get right. Because listen, if we claim to worship God, we better worship God the way God says to worship him. Right? And so Jesus answering this question gives a, a beautiful statement. And I can't read all of it for time's sake. But go back to John 4 and read that today sometime. And man, just an amazing conversation. And you see grace extended to this woman over and over again. It's so powerful. But he says to her, he says, listen, the true worshipers, Jesus defines, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. And so we unpacked that last week. And what is a true worshiper? Well, what does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? In spirit meaning we need the Holy Spirit of God to worship him. That we need his, his indwelling presence in our lives. It doesn't necessarily mean we need to use or only use spiritual gifts to worship him. It's saying that we need the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. The word there, spirit, is pneuma for breath or what we translate to the holy breath, the Holy Spirit of God. And so he says we need to worship God in spirit but also in truth. Do you know what in truth means? You can't just worship him the way you want to worship him. It means we need to worship him according to the revelation that Christ revealed. What does that mean? I can't just, I'll give you a good example. My stepdad uh, grew up in a very staunch Catholic home. 
And I'm not picking on the Catholic Church. I'm just saying that's the reality of it. And he always said for a long time, we talk about religion and about salvation. Once I came to know Christ at 16, and isn't it true when you first get saved, man, everyone's coming to Jesus, right? Like you don't care who they are. They're getting saved by the end of the day. You know what I'm saying? And so I went into a conversation with him that way. And it just would always turn into this argument. Just, I mean, just him just accusing the Bible of being fake, fictional, a collection of story tale, or stories, fairy tales, um, meant to give people hope where there is no hope, a crutch for people to walk through, um, all these different things. And I would try to defend each one, thinking, okay, if I can just convince him of this, then he'll get saved. Now, I'm not saying you don't have discussion, but at the end of the day, it's the Holy Spirit of God that works in someone's heart to open their minds and eyes to the truth of the gospel. You can't force salvation on someone. All you can do is share the truth of the gospel, pray for them, and watch God move. And you plant the seed, and you watch God do it. But you know, one thing he always said to me, he says, you know what, I don't know why you want me to get this Jesus stuff or get saved. I pray every morning. I pray every morning. I about fell off my chair. Let's just say he wasn't living the life of someone that you would expect to live. They pray every morning. You know what I'm saying? And he pulls out this little card with a picture of this really funny-looking guy on the one side, and then a like a long poem thing on the back. And he's like, he hands him, I pray that every morning. I'm like, what is this? He says, no, I don't need to get saved. I pray every morning. You know what his thought was? Just the act of praying, which is worship, God will receive because I'm just doing it. You follow me? It doesn't matter what God thinks about it. As long as I'm going through the motion of doing it and doing what I think God wants, he should receive it. He should be good with this. But the problem is we become the standard of what God accepts and doesn't accept. And when God says clearly, you need to respond to the truth that I've revealed in order to worship me, that means you can't just pray a prayer and do what you want without knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's only in the salvation that he offers us by the infilling and indwelling of the Holy Spirit that we're allowed to even worship him. So let's just praise him for that, that he allows us to worship him this morning. So how do we worship as a true worshiper now that we know Christ and we have his spirit? We do this by coming before him in awe. We explained this last week, in awe and open surrender. This morning I want to show that I believe biblical worship is also done together as one. Biblical worship is done together as one. We must realize that we worship Christ as one body. This is so Simple, but so profound for us to grasp this, especially in our world today and the climate that we face in our world and our culture. No matter our background, gender, social status, or race, we are one in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, if you have a Bible today, and if you don't have one, we'd love to give you one. There's some at the Welcome Center. You can just go pick one up. Um, If you don't want to go and talk to somebody about it, if you have a device phone or tablet or something, uh, on our app, there is a Bible, part of that app, there's the Bible on there, so you can pull that up. Um, if you're looking for a good Bible app, there's one on there, but there's also Version Bible app, which is completely free, a great resource put out by a local church, and I encourage one of those three resources to get into your hands so you can read the Word of God as well. Ephesians chapter 4, look at verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord... Beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Can we just take a small moment and notice Paul's description of himself? The great apostle Paul does all that he does for the Lord, and he identifies himself as the prisoner of the Lord. What kind of rights do prisoners have over their daily schedule? So what's Paul saying? Man, it's not about me. I am completely committed and surrendered to what the Lord has. If my rights are put in subjection to his will is what he's saying there. Okay, so we got to, and little things like that, think about that for just a second and realize, man, how would I describe myself as a follower of Christ? When I say, I, therefore, the occasional worshiper of Christ, I, therefore, as the occasional church attender, the sort of kind of maybe follows when it's convenient follower of Christ. I mean, how would we describe ourselves or would we identify with what Paul says and says, I am a prisoner of the Lord? Let's move through the text. I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in, bond of peace, in the bond of peace, there is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. 
one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And there is a lot in that passage, but I want to kind of take the principle of this text. I want to kind of walk through this a little bit, and I want to see what is Paul's principle here? What is he really looking at here? The Apostle Paul connects how we live our daily lives or our walk. Remember, that's how he started the text. He said, your walk, your daily life. He connects that with the oneness of the church. How we strive to walk in unity is a direct reflection of our connection with Christ and his church. Did you catch that? How we strive to walk in unity is a direct reflection of our connection with Christ and his church. This is why this idea of I'm a Christian but I don't have to go to church seems really foreign to Scripture. Now, do you have to go to church to be a Christian? No. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that. That's the beauty of the truth of the gospel. It is open to everyone who would just come. You don't have to fulfill these five pillars or these 613 commands or these other obligations. You just come. Receive Christ as you are, confessing your sins, receiving his salvation, and you are redeemed. But here's the point. Paul seems to connect that as a follower of Christ, someone who is completely surrendered to Christ, there will be an understanding of my connection to his bride, to his church, to his body. To live as a Christian but disconnected from the local body is not a good idea. Because it weakens our lives. It weakens our faith. Listen, there is no greater joy in my life than coming together with the church. I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, well, you're the pastor. You kind of have to be here. Well, I don't know if I have to be here. I just think there's a couple of deacons that were glad that I'm here. Because if I wasn't here, they'd be up here. And they don't want that to happen. So they're like, you keep coming. It's okay. Man, isn't there, isn't there just a joy when you come with the body of Christ? And you're out in the lobby or you're sitting in a chair or you're here this morning or during greet time. And, and man, just someone smiles and shakes your hand. Just says, hey, how are you doing today? Maybe when you see somebody come and say, hey, man, I've been praying for you. How's this going? You mentioned a couple weeks ago that you're having some situations at work. How is that going? Because, man, I've been praying for you and I just want to make sure I'm praying effectively. Doesn't that just do, I mean, doesn't that just lift us up from the mire and the junk of this world? Man, we all need the encouragement of the body of Christ. We also need the challenging rebuke sometimes from the body of Christ. What does that mean? When I'm getting a little sideways in my thinking, man, I need the body of Christ to come alongside and pull me back on the right path. Not just in there of an open sin or something like that, but just sometimes when it's just us and our Bible alone, without anyone else speaking into our lives, sometimes we can get some kind of different thoughts in our heads. We start thinking a scripture means something that it really doesn't mean. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ to come alongside and say, no, no, brother, man, this is what it's saying. I get what you're saying there, but let's look at this passage. And all of a sudden, oh, I never saw it that way. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. But your connection to Christ is a direct connection to, your, to his church. Our worship then reflects that same unity in Christ and his church. How can we claim to worship him if we're disconnected in a unity with his body or with himself, with Christ? I want to ask, what keeps us from worshiping together as a body? What keeps us or divides churches in general, but also could divide our church one day if we're not careful? But I believe this is something we see in our church across our country today. This, this divisive mentality in our churches that leads to a lack of true worship. See, what is worship? It's done in spirit and in truth, but it's also done together as the body of Christ. Now, I want to unpack this a little bit, and hopefully you guys will see where we're going here pretty quickly. So what leads to not worshiping together as the body? Well, I think the first thing we see is some wrong ideas about the church. Some wrong ideas about the church. So who is the church for? Who is the church for? This question may seem to have an obvious answer. But in reality, the American church has gotten off track by suggesting that certain churches are for certain people. Did you catch what I said there? Certain churches, the church has promoted the idea. Not culture, not politics, not this group or that group. The church has propagated the idea that certain churches are for certain people. I don't necessarily mean rich or poor or men or women. I mean by ethnicity. Have you ever heard someone describe a church as a white church, a black church, or a Hispanic church? We've all heard these terms. Oh, that church down there, that's a Hispanic church. That's a white church. 
Sometimes we don't say it out loud, but we know what we mean when we say, oh, that church. In the 1970s and 80s, when the church growth movement, which was a thing in the church in America, the church growth movement, was spreading across the country, a strategy was considered and, and created that would help grow churches faster. It's a simple strategy, and it's used even today in some places still, sadly enough. It's called the homogeneous principle. Here's basically what it means. Each local church chooses what part of their local demographic to target and reach. So if your church is good at reaching Hispanics, then you go reach Hispanics. If your church is good at reaching senior citizens, you go reach senior citizens. If your church is good at reaching young families, then you go reach young families, and so on and so on. And I can only describe this entire way of thinking as ridiculous. Where is that idea in Scripture that certain churches reach certain groups of people? Where, where, anywhere. If you can find it, I would be blown away. Because I've only read it a few times and I've, I've not seen it in there. That we divide up local bodies of believers based on the ethnicity of a certain group. And in fact, doesn't that seem to be in direct contradiction to the gospel as a whole and what Scripture teaches? Scripture teaches? This idea that, that this church is for this ethnicity group and this church is for that one. That this church is only for reaching senior citizens. I actually saw a video a few months ago by a guy that pastors a very large church in Florida who actually puts out material weekly. I get it on my Facebook suggested feed. And every time I see it, I'm like, I just kind of throw up in my mouth a little bit, just to be honest. It's just, really? People are spending money for this guy's strategies and systems. I watched a video, and after I watched it, I rewound it. I turned my iPad to Sandra and said, you listen to this, and you tell me what you're hearing. And I'm watching her face, and the whole time he's talking, she's just like. He literally said, no one church can reach everyone in their community. It's not possible. Because certain churches are only really capable of reaching certain groups of people. Now, he never said ethnicity or anything like that. He used other examples. But the same principle, this is the principle that was created in the 70s and 80s. And why did they do this? We've got to think about this. Why did this idea even come up about if you're a really church, a really good church at reaching seniors, and just go reach seniors. Don't reach young families because you're going to invest in young families, and it's not going to grow fast, and you're not going to have success in your numbers. The whole reason was to grow churches fast. And I've said this so many times, there are so many programs in the American church that are just meant to keep Christians happy. To create better programs and bigger performances and bigger stuff to draw people in. And look at all the stuff they have at that church. Have you ever walked into a church and you went, wow, you look around the room and you think, there's a lot of blank in this church. There's a lot of seniors in this church. There's a lot of young families in this church. It could be this leadership of the church has strategically planned and purposed to only reach that group of people. But again, I argue, where is this in Scripture? The answer to the question is, who is the church for? The answer is simple, everyone. Let me say that again. There is not one person in this community that would not be welcomed in this church. I don't care what they look like. I don't care where they come from. I don't care any of that. All I care about is, man, if you want to come to the worship God and be in his church, this church is for you. Now, I understand some people might come to our church and say, well, I just, it's not really for me. It's not fitting what I, really, what I really am looking for. That's fine. But I want our community to know that if somebody comes to our church and decides not to be a part of our church, it wasn't because we didn't welcome them into our church. And here's the thing. You can welcome people into this church of different backgrounds and beliefs and still hold very true to the gospel and the truth of Scripture and the truth of sin. I'm not saying we water down anything or compromise anything. What I'm saying is, in fact, we preach the truth of the gospel to everyone. Man, what did Paul say? Everyone, whoever can, whoever will, can come. So who is unreachable to God? What people group on planet Earth can God not reach with his grace? None. So therefore, who should his church be going after to encourage with the gospel of Christ? Everyone. And I don't know why this took hold in the church today. And it's, again, it's just crazy to me. This is 2018. This is still happening in churches. We are one body. Go over to Romans chapter 6. 
Romans chapter 6, I love this passage. I was studying this this last week, and this jumped out to me, and it's just so much truth here. Romans 6, look at verse 3. If we truly want to worship biblically, then we worship together as one. Romans 6 and verse 3 says this, Know you not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Gary saying it, the same power that rose Christ from the dead is alive and well in you through the Holy Spirit. There is nothing God cannot do. Look at verse 5. For we have been planted together in the likeness of his death. We shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Do you know why I wanted to read these three verses? Because it shows the identity that we have with Christ as one. All of us who have put our faith in Christ have been baptized, brought into relationship, taken from outside the body of Christ, baptized, immersed into the body of Christ. We are one with Christ. Our identity is shared with each other and with our heavenly Father. And so if we are one through the Scripture's teaching, then we better worship as one. The church is unique because it doesn't matter your background in Christ, we become one. It doesn't matter what your background is. We come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and worship as one, not forgetting our ethnic backgrounds or cultures, but in that uniqueness, worshiping God. The Bible says that one day, every tribe and every tongue will praise him. I talked about dreams a little while ago, and and this, to me, I think about this. Do you ever think about that phrase? And I want you to do this. Now, this is always dangerous at this point in the sermon because what I'm going to ask you to do might tempt you to keep them this way, and we're not going to encourage that. So I'm going to ask everybody to close their eyes. You got to come back to us, though. So stay the course. Hold true. If you guys would close your eyes just for a moment, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about whatever you would imagine the throne of God to be. However you would picture the throne of God. Maybe it's this beautiful, bright white image and the rainbow encompassing the throne and you see all the angels around the throne and whatever you would picture that to be. And and once you get that image in your mind, I want you to picture just thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And just imagine every one of them, maybe every 10 or 15 of them, look different than another 10 or 15 of them. And I want you to imagine what it would look like for every tribe, every people group on planet Earth surrounding the throne of God, praising him and worshiping him as Savior and as King of Kings. I want you to imagine what does that look like? And just think of the joy on the faces of those individuals with the difference in appearance, sure. The difference in language. But what do you imagine that to be one day? All right, look back up here. Keith, I said back up here. Come on. I'm just kidding. He's looking right at me. I was teasing. He's the only safe one I could pick on. I mean, I won't like send me an email like, I cannot believe you did that. Nobody sends me emails. I'm just kidding. Um, But I want you to think about this image that you just thought of. Did you group them up, all the different groups together? Did you put this people group over here and this people group over here? When I think of it, I just kind of imagine they're all just intermixed together. Just gathering around the throne of God. Nobody, it's not like God had like, okay, here's the the Yanomamo tribe section. And here's the European Italian section. And here's the Canadian section. Well, they should have their own section. But, I mean... (laughs) We don't see that. And the Canadians would be cool with it. They're like, we're cool, eh? No worries. They don't get mad about anything in Canada. Anyway, but I mean, how silly would that be for God to say, well, well, sorry, you're in the wrong section of worship. You need to be over here in this people group. And do you see how ridiculous that is? But yet this is what churches do all the time. When God says every tribe and tongue will worship me, I believe he means it's just going to be this mass of brothers and sisters in Christ that are just worshiping him as Savior. 
Man, the beauty of the different tones of their skin and the sound of the different voices. Man, praising him and glorifying him in every one of the languages that we can think of on planet Earth. And that's a beautiful image to think about. And that's what the church is supposed to be today. Because, see, we think about that and we go, oh, I can't wait to get there and see that one day. Do you realize the church is the representation of that worship today? That when we gather together as the body of Christ, you know what we're doing, right? We're just gathering around his throne and we're just shouting praises to him and we're praying to him and we're worshiping him and we're coming together as a people group of one body. And it doesn't matter. We don't divide you up based on ethnicity or culture or background or if you're two-fifths Irish or four-fifths Italian. It just, who cares? Man, we are one family. Jesus said in Luke, we looked at it last couple of weeks on Sunday night, that man, he says, my true mother and father, brothers and sisters are those that believe me, that hear my word and do it. We're all part of the body of Christ. So I believe one of the reasons we have the wrong idea about the church We think the church is meant to be about us, and it's about his kingdom, his throne. Another reason we do not worship as one quickly is that we have wrong hearts in the church. Wrong hearts in the church. What is our heart towards those who are different than us? Now, don't just answer the Sunday school Jesus answer. Just let that sink in for a moment. Man, how do you view those that are different than you? TV. Uh, real world, at work, you're in line at a grocery store and someone cuts in front of you or someone's in the line next to you and they're different than you. And the difference can be anything. I'm not going to get as simplistic as just race. Any difference. How they dress, how they appear, how they smell. Their apparent social status or the lack thereof. And how do you view people that are different than you? Just at its core, as followers of Christ, how do we even view human beings around us? Or have we filled our minds with so many preconceived ideas about so many different people groups that we just automatically put them in their little category and we move on? What is our heart towards those that are different than us? We can blame the church leaders that purposely target certain groups and ignore others. But what about our hearts in the matter? How do you view those of a different ethnicity? Do you generalize them into a negative category and use terms like they always or you know how they are? That's, we're not talking about the world or unsaved or people that just try to stir up trouble. I'm talking about the body of Christ. We that know Christ. How do we identify people that are different than us? I heard a Christian author say that in his opinion, it's time for the church to wake up and realize the role it has played in dividing our nation. That's powerful. It's time for the church to wake up. This is a Christian author. It's time for the church to wake up and realize the role it has played in dividing our nation. This idea goes way farther than even ethnicity, but even to other categories we put on people. I remember years ago, many years ago now, a Christian made a comment to me about the van kids that we pick up on Wednesday nights because they were mostly unchurched. And the comment that was made was more or less to the effect that I'm not really sure that's a good idea to just let them intermix with church kids because they might lead them astray. I don't really know if I want my kid riding with them somewhere because I don't know their influence on a church event or going to church. Now, I'm sure that this person has most likely changed their view, grown in some way, or in most light reality, it wasn't even intentional It wasn't an intentional statement. It wasn't like they were being hateful towards that group of people. My point was, we make these divisions all the time. We don't even think about it. We just do it and we say it and we react. The truth remains. We have these divisive thoughts and don't even realize it. So what do we do with that? I mean, what do we do with those kind of ways of thinking? When we see a people group or a person or someone of a different belief system even or whatever. How do we process that when we see somebody that's different than us? And what do we do with them? Do we put them in their little category and make it like a box and, okay, well, they're over there and I don't need to worry about them? Or do we think like Jesus thought, like Paul thought, and just say, man, I'm going to preach the gospel to every creature. I don't care what they look like or where they're coming from. But the minute you make that decision, we have to ask the question of what's easier. What's the easier decision? 
put them in their little category and just kind of classify everybody in that group or to actually step out of our comfort zone and begin engaging people that are different than us. Well, it's easier to reach those who think and look like us. Obviously, it's more easy to do that than to reach those who are different than us. Maybe it's more comfortable. Maybe we don't know what we're going to say to them. Maybe we're not sure how they'll respond. But no matter the difference, no matter why it's easier, even if it is easier or more comfortable, the path God wants us to take is one of engaging those people groups. James chapter 2 and verse 1, listen to what James says to the church, the early church. It says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Now, in the context here, he is going to talk about the division, if you read James chapter 2, between the rich and the poor in the church. How the rich would come in and the church leaders said, Oh, brother, we're so happy to have you here. Sit up right up front. And this day, the rich, the best seats were in the front. So all of you in the first, like, three rows. Those of you guys in the back, I don't know what to tell you. I'm just praying for you. God bless you. I'm just kidding. But that's what they would do. They'd bring the rich and the most important people, bring them to the front. And then the poor people, they put in the very back, sometimes not even giving them a seat to sit on. And then when the poor would complain about not having anywhere to sit, they'd say, well, okay, you can come up here and get on your hands and knees in front of this rich person and let him put his feet on you, on your back. Could you just imagine for a second you walked into a church and you're sitting there and all of a sudden someone's like standing in the back, stretching out. Service starts, they come down front, get on their hands and knees and somebody puts their feet on their back. What would your first thought be? I'd have two thoughts. One, man, I wish I was rich. I wish I would. That would be comfortable. Mm. My other thought would be like, I'm leaving this church. This is ridiculous. Why would they treat someone that way? Why would they not see those two human beings as equal creations of God? Do you see how, yes, the context says rich and poor, but do you see how the same principle can bleed into every area of our Christian life? When we start actually seeing a human being created by God who needs to know the power of Christ in his life as less than worthy of our time. Because they always, and they always will be, and they always are, and they're never going to change. Man, we have to be so guarded against this way of thinking. We worship biblically when we worship as one. I love a quote that I read from Martin Luther King Jr. on this topic, and he said this, and I love this. Worship at its best is a social experience with people of all levels of life coming together to realize their oneness and unity under God. Worship at its best is a social experience with people of all levels of life coming together to realize their oneness and unity under God. Whenever the church consciously or unconsciously caters to one class, it loses the spiritual force of the whosoever will let him come doctrine and is in danger of becoming a little more than a social club with a thin veneer of re- religiosity. Consciously or unconsciously caters to one class. And again, man, we can, we can look at church leaders and principles and strategies and say, why would they ever do that? Why would you write a book like that? Why would you pay to listen to that? And there's a point for that. And leaders of churches need to wake up. And we, as leadership here at our church, we are always praying to be wise in this area because we don't ever want to do anything that's going to mar the name of Christ or hurt his kingdom. We want to worship as one body to all people, whoever will, let them come. But as individual Christians, we can't just look at the leaders of the churches and say, well, you guys never, or you're always teaching. And that's the beauty of having the word of God and the Holy Spirit individually in you and in me. I have the ability to read the word of God and say, man, it sure seems like we're supposed to reach all people groups. Romans chapter 10. I wasn't going to turn here, but let's go there real quick. We've got a few minutes. Romans chapter 10. Let's see here. Verse 13. You know what, let's go to verse 12. Romans 10 and verse 12. Check this out. This is just so powerful what Paul writes here. It says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We love that verse. But he doesn't stop there. 
How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? That word preacher just means proclaimer, one that proclaims the gospel. Then he says in verse 15, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Man, think about what it just said there. Anyone who proclaims the gospel is, is beautiful in the eyes of Scripture. And so we look at these people groups from all over the world, and we think, man, they just need to come to know Christ. They're not going to come to know Christ unless we as the church go to them. He says it so clearly. Yes, they need to believe, and it's possible to believe, but how are they going to believe unless they hear? And how are they going to hear unless nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless we go? This isn't just a mission. This is like a missions-minded sermon saying we're just going to go to another country and do missions. That's, that's fine and good and needed. I was, just, I was blessed last month to go to a group of, uh, meet with a group of pastors around Michigan and just kind of talk a little bit about some things. And, and one of the people that are going to the mission, for there's like three missionaries that were there. And they said, you know, they went on their trip to visit Japan, which is where this person was going on his mission. And he said that in talking to the missionaries that are currently there, Every single missionary that is in the area that he's going to be working in are all at retirement age. And there's no one coming behind them. So we can think about, man, going to another country is powerful and it's needed. Man, we need to go to the ends of the earth to preach the gospel. But what about my job? What about my career? What about my stuff? What about my safety? What about my children? Man, if you're a follower of Christ, your safety is not your concern. It's his concern and he's got you. He's watching over you. He's guiding you and protecting you and providing for you. But maybe overseas missions is not where God is leading you. And I don't believe that everyone in this room is supposed to go overseas. we got some work to do here. So maybe it's your neighbor that you're going to go to. Maybe it's somebody at work. I don't even know. But the point is, are we willing to go to them even if they're different than us? Even if they don't look like us or talk like, or even think like us? What if they're a different belief system altogether? Do we just cast them out? And then you might think, well, are there really that many different belief systems around here? I mean, our country is filled with people from various nations, people groups, tribes, and tongues. And we are blessed to be Christians today. Because for 2,000 years, Jesus said, go to the ends of the earth. And a lot of Americans in the last 100, 150 years stopped doing that. And so you know what God did in his sovereignty? He started bringing the people groups to us. And now we don't have to go to another country to share Christ with somebody of a different belief system or people group. We can go sometimes next door, down the road. It's amazing what God is doing and how we can worship him as one. In closing, I just want to ask a question that I hope that we would think about and really kind of put to heart. How can we claim to worship the Lord of glory while we have division and prejudice in our hearts and minds? And we're going to study next two weeks about worship, and it's going to be amazing. And, but I felt like if we didn't talk about this at the beginning, we'd be robbing ourselves because we can say all good things. But if there is any division or prejudice in our hearts and minds towards another human being, then how can we claim to worship him? I mean, how can we claim to be true worshipers? The answer is simple. We can't. We can come here and we can sing some songs and we can do some stuff and I can talk to you for 45, 50, 60, 75 minutes, whatever. You can keep going and going. We can do all this stuff. We'll shake hands. We'll do dinner for steaks. That's really good. But I think Dr. King's comments are true. We end up becoming nothing more than a social club that just has this thin veneer of religion. But man, it's when we go beyond the surface and we say, you know what? Man, it's, it's about being one body. And it's about seeing each other as people, not as people groups. Seeing each other as created beings of God that he died for. And so my challenge to you is really, really simple this morning. A couple of things I want you to think about. Maybe you want to come and say, you know what, Lord? I've got some prejudices in my life. And I see this people group or this type of a person or this kind of a situation. And I automatically assume negative judgmental things about them. And this is where you're already justifying why you're okay to think those things about those people. Why you've been given just cause to think those things. And I could care less about your just cause. What I care about is are we following the scriptures? Are we biblically thinking through this? I don't care if somebody in a certain people group hurt you. I mean, I do care, but I don't, I don't think that means now all of a sudden you can label 
That whole people group is that way. Do you, I mean, when you think about it logically, isn't that kind of ridiculous? And I can tell you right now, our nation, we have two, the church is handling the situation in our nation one of two ways. It's all fabricated. It's all garbage. It's all fake. It's not even real. There's no racism and division in our country. What are you talking about? We're all good. Which is really just kind of burying our heads in the sand because if you don't think there's division in our country, pop that bubble. There's division in our country. There's division in your home, most likely. So there's division in our country. We're a fallen people group in a fallen world with sin. It's divided. But man, the other option is we just only focus on that. And that's all we ever talk about. That's all we ever think about. What I'm saying is why can't we just kind of compromise in the middle and say, there is division in our country. Maybe it's not as bad as what some people are putting out there to be, but there's division. And so as a Christian, what do I do? How do I solve this problem? What am I called to do in my little world, in my lane, as I'm living my life, raising my family, doing all this stuff? I'm just called to reach my area of influence. So if you have a coworker or somebody that's different than you, you stop looking at them in a prejudiced way and start saying, man, I just want to love on them and encourage them with the gospel of Christ. If you only are around people that look just like you, act just like you, think, well, I pray, not just like you, but similar, then you reach them. It's not about, I have to go reach this people group, or I can't reach that one. It's about reaching everyone. So how in the world do we reach everyone? Let's be real here. It's difficult to cross ethnic lines, cultural lines, language barriers. Missionaries deal with this all the time. Why does a missionary go to a field for five, ten years before they really start getting a grasp of the culture? Because they've never experienced it that way. They don't live that way. So listen, we don't get frustrated. We just put work in. We try to understand our neighbor. We try to listen to them. Somebody that's a different belief system than you, stop arguing with them and just start listening to them. Like let them talk to you for five minutes about their beliefs before you automatically slam them down. Have a conversation and then in the conversation... Discuss your thoughts on Scripture. Listen to their thoughts on Scripture. I promise you, at the end of the day, they may not convert to Christ, but they will be a friend. They'll be somebody that will want to talk to you again. And so I know there's a lot in this topic, and I didn't want to just kind of hit it and move on, but I wanted to kind of give you a baseline idea of what we're talking about in worship. True worship is not done individually without understanding our connection to the church to the unity in the church. And we aren't going to see the unity in the church until we stop seeing people that God has created as this or that, this group or that group, and start seeing them as somebody that needs to know Christ if they don't. And if they do, then they're a brother and sister in Christ. And we worship together. And so I want to just take some time to respond to this this morning. So if you have any prejudices that you want to deal with, maybe you'd come this morning and just bend a knee and say, God, I don't even know where this stuff comes from, why I think this about people, but would you just help me with this? Would you, would you forgive me for these things and help me to see people as you see them? But maybe you want to come and say, God, would you just help me to step out of my comfort zone this week, to share Christ with someone, maybe somebody just like me or somebody not at all like me, whatever you allow, because you're going to give me opportunities. Would you just give me the boldness to follow through? So however you want to respond this morning, maybe you would do that this morning. Would you, would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer as we ask the Lord to continue to speak, lead, guide, and direct through this? And as you begin to pray there, I know this is a weighty topic. I know it's something that's kind of a, a hot-button issue, I guess, in our, in our world today. I don't really understand why, but it seems like it is. And it, to me, it's got a simple answer. Let's just, as followers of Christ, be committed to being followers of Christ. To be submitted as a prisoner of the Lord and to watch him use us to reach people group of all different backgrounds. To share his love and his grace with anyone. To see people in spiritual lenses, not physical lenses. So maybe you would confess or repent or pray or seek the Lord in some way in regards to this and watch him do great things. But I really want to ask you as followers of Christ, if you're battling with prejudice in any way, it will harm your spiritual life. It will destroy your witness. So maybe you would come and say, Lord, I know that man, maybe I grew up in a thinking like this. Maybe my parents used to say stuff like that and it got me thinking about these people or this group or that individuals or those individuals that way. 
But Lord, I'm just, I'm done with all that. I just want to be a follower of Christ who sees people as you see them and just love them as you love them. Share the truth of your gospel, the need for the forgiveness of sins, the truth that you died for them, and that if anyone will call upon the name of the Lord, they can be saved. Lord, help me to not put barriers in people's lives, to be a roadblock or a stumbling block to Christ. Father, we thank you so much for this afternoon or this morning and into the afternoon, Lord, that we can worship you. Father, I pray that the simplicity of this message would hit home with us, that we would realize that while, yes, we worship as one, that we need to be so guarded that we don't allow the cultural preferences and norms and thinking of our world to influence how we view other individuals. Lord, that we'd stop putting people in categories and start seeing them as those that you've loved. And then when we see them in their uniqueness, we see them in their unique cultures, we can actually begin to honor you for their differences. Father, there's nothing wrong with acknowledging that we are different people in this world. Not one person is the same. But those differences are not negatives, they're positives to show the beauty of your creative work. And so may we not try to ignore the differences and pretend that we're all the same. We're not all the same. So instead of ignoring the differences, let's acknowledge you in the difference and say, man, God, thank you for creating me this way and seeing the beauty in that creation and that person in this way. But may we never use those differences that should reflect your character as a creator to divide us, to cause us to have hatred or bigotry or prejudice towards another human being just because they're of that people group or that social status or that gender Lord, may we rise above that by your Holy Spirit to be true worshipers. And so, Father, help us to worship as one this morning. May you be glorified in all these things. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet? How will you respond this morning? Maybe you want to come and pray for someone you can share Christ with this week. Maybe you want to pray because you're battling with prejudice. Don't be afraid to come and bend a knee. But let's ask the Lord to work in a mighty way, whether there in your seats or here at the altar. Let's respond to him as we sing.